If you uh, have your Bibles, open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're continuing our series in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And we've been in, in the book for several weeks. And we looked at the Acts passage where Paul first comes to Thessalonica and is kind of chased out because of persecution. And as we read through 1 Thessalonians, we realize that uh, Paul, when he's away, he wants to hear about what's going on in the church. This will come out in our passage this morning, and so he sends Timothy to give a report, and Timothy gives a report, and this is Paul's letter back to them, one of his earliest writings. And uh, Paul, at the beginning of chapter 1, is, is affirming their faith, which was shown in their work of faith, verse 3, uh, their labor of love and their steadfast hope, which is themes that run throughout the book. Then we looked at how the gospel came to them. It came to them, they received it, and it went out from them, and we talked about that. In chapter 2, uh, we, Paul kind of circles back around because of all the uh, affliction that's going on. And he says, look, this is who we were and this is who you are. And we, we talked a little bit about that. And then last week, we talked about why this affliction comes, why all these, this much affliction that's part of the theme here. And we talked about three different types of, of suffering that we go through. So we pick it up here in chapter 2, verse 17. And Paul says, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I can bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, there are those words again, and reported that you have always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all distress and affliction, we have been comforted about your faith. For now we live if we are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for you, your sake before our God. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. When we, as we've been reading the, the book of 1 Thessalonians, we can really see Paul's love for them. And he uses all sorts of kind of just gushing words about them. And so what binds these groups of people together, as we're going to look at this morning, is their affection uh, and then the, the affliction that they're going through together, which causes them to abandon themselves and care for other people. And it's really the gospel. We, we quoted this verse this morning, for God so loved the world. There's the affection. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That is 
abandonment. He, he gave freely of himself. And he endured, Jesus, the affliction, the cross, the pain for our sins. And so when we look at this affection and affliction and abandonment, we look at how God loved us. What, what binds us together as a church? And I was thinking about this this week, obviously, and I, I was thinking about what binds us together in marriage. Uh, my wife and I will be uh, 29 years this summer, uh, which sounds like a lot to me, but then Carmen posted uh, on Facebook that uh, her and Don were celebrating 56. So, you know, and then we did service for Jay Anderson last Saturday, and Jay and Ken were married for 68. So now I feel like 29, just barely, you know, scraping the iceberg here, right? So what, what binds us together in that? Well, there's a piece of paper that says that we're husband and wife. Uh, we made vows before God that bound us together. Obviously, those were uh, motivated by love, right? The, the affection, all that kind of stuff. But when we look at it 29 years later, what binds Jenny and I together is 29 years of life. And some of that is affliction. Some of that is the really hard times that, that bind us together. Now, we don't always talk about those times. Like, we're not sitting around the house saying, oh, I love you so much. Remember when we, our house was foreclosed on and how that brought us together? No, we don't talk about that, but it did. We don't talk about when we're up late at night pulling our hair out for our kids, you know, and, and when we were sitting at Jackie's hospital bed worried about what you, we don't, we don't think of those moments as this is what, this, this brought us together, but it did. It brings us closer together. It has a way of doing that. And we don't talk about the times where we say, hey, it's not about me. I just, I want to love you. And this is what I'm doing. I'm giving of myself, whatever that is, that abandonment that is love. We don't necessarily talk about those things, but it starts with that affection. And then the, all the life stuff that we go through brings us closer together. And then we just find ourselves giving of one another because it's just the way that that works out. The same is true for the church. There's an affection that we have for Jesus Christ and for one another, I hope. And some of you have walked through some really difficult times in life together with other people here. Whether it's part of the church or whether it's part of you know, physical things or financial things that you're going through, and you're tied to those people. Uh, this last week, uh, one of my uh, former youth group kids from my very first youth group he, uh, he messaged me on Facebook. We, we've seen each other. I uh, did the ceremony for he and his wife. His wife, my wife, led to the Lord, so he kind of owes us, you know, I think. But um, he, uh, he just kind of messaged me. I said, hey, let's, let's, let's talk. And I said, that was great. So he called me on Friday afternoon. He was driving his car, coming home from work in L.A., and I'm sitting in a grocery store parking lot, and we talked for like 50 minutes. And we're just talking about life. Now, we, I, mean, I really care about that kid. I mean, I, he was my youth group. He became one of my youth leaders. I was part of he and his wife's beginnings. I mean, I, I can think of all sorts of things. We had been through some, some things together as, as, you know, my first ministry and making mistakes and him coming alongside me. And one of my things, which some of you would, would laugh that I've gotten better at this, but, um, and it was more important then than it is now, uh, I, I don't have the best phone skills. Uh, if you get me on the phone, I'll just tell you right now, I'm thinking about how quickly I can get off of it. I just, it's just in my head, I'm not very good at it. 
And Ryan, this is the guy I was talking to, he made it his goal in life to make me better in that. He just picked that thing. And so at the end of the conversation, I said, hey, I didn't hang up on you. And he said, what? I said, don't you remember? You used to call me. And then like, I would, he would ask me a question, what time is youth group tonight? I'd say 7.30. Click. I answered the question. He asked a question, I answered it. Phone would ring. It would be Ryan. He's like, I wasn't done talking to you yet. And he, he had to do that over time to kind of, so we've been through things together. But, but time has separated that. But there's still affection. There's still affliction. And, and really, honestly, if I, if I wouldn't do this, but I could call him and say, man, I, I'm, in, I'm in a bind. Can you help me out? Ryan would want to help me. Now, he's one of the youth group kids that I probably should have spent more time with because uh, he's one of those kids that succeeded very well in life. And like he's, you know, he's in his 40s already thinking about retirement. And I'm like going, Ryan, remember your youth pastor. No. Um, <laughs> right? But, but we have these different levels of, of these relationships. And, and Paul refers to these. So let's just kind of look at them. First of all, affection. Our, our love is shown in a priority of relationship. We make relationship a priority. Now, look at this, and it's not evident right at first, but look at this with me in verse 17. So we're, we're in chapter 2 and chapter 3, so I'll try to be clear. Chapter 2, verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, that phrase, torn away, in our English text doesn't convey, but when Paul says we were torn away, it was literally to be orphaned. Paul says we were orphaned from you. And unlike our English word to be orphaned, it could be a child who loses a parent, or it could be a parent who loses his child. It could be a term of bereavement. And so Paul is, is, is saying this like, when we were torn away from you, and he's picturing himself as a father who has a child torn from him. That's how deep the relationship was. He uses throughout this, this text the term brothers, uh, and, and when you see that in our English, it could be brothers and sisters. I wish they had just put it that way so it, it's not so male-oriented. But when it says brothers, it's brothers and sisters, chapter 2, verse 17, chapter 2, verse 9, and verse 14. So he keeps referring to that. And then in chapter 3, verse 2, where he says, and we sent Timothy, our brother. Let's just keep in mind that Timothy is Paul's disciple. Timothy is, is Paul's mentee. He works for Paul, if you, if you will. And, and Paul doesn't refer to him as, as the lackey here. He refers to him as my brother. Now, confession's good for the soul, bad for the reputation. When I when I hired very early in ministry, when I was lead pastor and I hired my first youth pastor, I'd been a youth pastor for 10 years and, and knew my position as a youth pastor to serve youth and kids and do whatever the senior pastor told me to do. Every youth pastor's job description ends with one line and other duties as assigned by the senior pastor. And I lived in fear of that line. So when I had a youth pastor, it was like, ooh, time to enforce the line. And uh, my, my good friend, uh, Casey, he kind of endured some of my immaturity at the beginning and kind of referred to him, I won't tell you what I called him, but my lackey. And after a while, he says, you know, it kind of hurts my feelings. And I, I realized that I wasn't thinking of him as my brother. Even, I thought of him as my brother. I wasn't referring to him as my brother. But Paul here says, man, we're brothers. We're in this together. Okay, so the church is family. Second, the church is a network. 
We saw this in chapter one where, where Paul says in verse eight, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So this thing is networked out of there. Think of Jesus' words in John chapter 13, a new commandment that I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, there's a lot of things Jesus could have said there. He said, you are going to be known for the way that you love one another and love other people. The church is not known for its doctrinal purity. Now, it should have doctrinal purity. But Jesus didn't say, you will be known by being right. He says, you'll be known by how you love other people. The church is not known for its worship. Now, should we worship? Absolutely. Should our worship be excellent? Absolutely. Should we, should we worship God? Yes. But he says, he doesn't say, look, you're going to be known for your music or your worship or your whatever. He says, you're going to be known for your love. The church is not known by its denomination or whatever the tagline is. He didn't say, you're going to be known by being Baptist. Yay, conservative Baptist. No, he didn't say that. If he did, they'd be totally confused. He said, you're going to be known by the way you love other people. He didn't say you're going to be known by your political party. Whether you're on the right or the left, he said you're going to be known by how you love one another. He didn't say you're going to be known for the church programs or what time we meet. The church is to be known for how it loves people in the church and outside the church. And then the church should be Christ-centered. This love is not just based on an affection, ooh, I like you, but I don't like you. This love is based on the fact that we are family in the body of Christ. That's what binds us together. Our love is shown in priority of relationship. It's also shown in the depth of feeling. And I, I just, I guess I was just kind of moved by Paul's affection that just gushes out uh, throughout this. And again, he says, you know, um, we were torn away from you. We, he says, we, we endeavored more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I mean, there was just depths of feeling there. In chapter three, verse six, he says, but now that Timothy has come to you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. In chapter two, verse eight, remember Paul said, so being affectionately desirous of you. Boy, that, it's just gushing out of this depth of feeling that Paul has for the church and the church has for him. So our love should be seen in priority of relationship, depth of feeling, and then fervent action. As I was thinking about this uh, this week, I just kind of read through 1 Thessalonians again, which I try to do each week and, and in preparing this, and I've read it several times now. And here's some things, some ways that, that love has been demonstrated in 1 Thessalonians. First of all, prayer. When we pray for somebody, we are giving up of our time and energy and our focus on our own selves to pray for somebody else. It's a, it's a form of love. 
Uh, when you pray with your spouse, it's, uh, it's one of the most intimate things you can do. Uh, prayer is, is such a part of, I think, of, of a healthy caring for somebody else. As I talked with my friend for 50 minutes, one of the things he shared was some issues that he, that he and his wife were going through with adoption. And, and I just said, man, I'm putting that on my daily prayer list. I have different prayer lists, but the daily one just moved a name. I'm praying for that. Why? Because it's just a, it's a form of love. Now, in uh, chapter 1, verse 3, as Paul was introducing this uh, faith and love and hope, he talked about our work of faith, which you'll have to go back and listen to the sermon if you want to know what that is. But he talked about labor of love. And we talked specifically at that time that the labor of love here from the context of 1 Thessalonians is the labor of love that we, how we love one another. And that's kind of funny that, that Paul says, man, I really appreciate how you labor to love one another because he recognizes it's not always easy. Discipleship. Uh, there's a lot of, of references to this mentor relationship. Chapter one, verse six and seven. Chapter two, verse 13. There's this this point of, of discipleship that keeps going on in Paul's life with the churches and with the leaders there. And discipleship is a, is a major focus. Uh, we've been trying to emphasize that love God, love people, make disciples. What is discipleship? And as I was wrestling through this this week, this is just kind of a, an advertisement uh, in the middle of the message here. Um, I, I'm offering Thursday mornings at 6 a.m. for any guys that would want to go a little deeper for six weeks in discipleship. Um, we're going to meet together and go through four chair discipleship and what it means to disciple somebody else. If you're interested in that, uh, email me this week and we'll, we'll, uh, I'll tell you which Starbucks we're meeting at. Um, sacrifice. Love is shown in sacrifice. Love is shown in, in right motives. In chapter 2, verse 3, it says, For our appeal did not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God. Paul, right motives in the relationship. Right? Sometimes when you're, when you're in a dating relationship or even, even a friendship, even sometimes in the church, you just go, man, I don't know if that person has the right motives right, for, for wanting to spend time with me. Uh, Paul says that they were sharing in, in chapter 2, verse 8, so, so being affectionately desires of you, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel, but also our own selves. They were willing to give of themselves. That's a form of love. Chapter 2, verse 10, he talks about how their conduct towards them was blameless or holy conduct. You want to show love for somebody, you honor them by, by living appropriately towards them. It's just a way that you, you want to do that. Now, I, there's all sorts of ways that we love one another in church, love others. I felt really bad a, a few weeks ago. Uh, my neighbor knocked on my door, and she, she, just, she needed help moving a recliner. And I was, still, I was still in my hard cast, and she goes, you're not going to be able to do that. I said, no. Right? We, but I want to be a good, I want to be available to my neighbor. I want to be able to do that. And so there's times where, we, where it's helping or serving or sharing, but then there's other times where we put a protection around somebody, like with our kids. And that's, 
That's a holy conduct, how we treat them. A thanksgiving. In fact, from our text this morning, Paul says, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? They're thankful. It's Christ-centered. A good, a good, loving relationship is Christ-centered. The other thing that is just an action of love is faithfulness. Chapter 3, verse 3, that no one be moved by these afflictions. They, they keep going uh, in that. And chapter uh, 3, verse 8, for now we live if we're standing firm in the Lord. There's, there's a faithfulness. The, the relationships that matter most to you are probably the ones that have been around the longest. That's a huge list there. And I, I know I ran through them quickly, but our affection for one another that what binds us together is priority of relationship um, and then the depth of feelings and then just the action of actually loving one another. Now, as I said before, we, we've, there are some people that, that loving them is easy. And other people where it's a little bit more of a challenge. That's why we labor in it. Now, the affliction. How does affliction bind us together? Uh, Affliction binds us together um, when we have a proper view of affliction. And we looked at this last week, and so this is just real quick review. But when we talk about suffering... Um, there's three different types of suffering, and we usually kind of have a wrong picture of God as just up there ready to smite us. Um, and so that retribution or, or a rebutive uh, type of suffering is when God judges us for our sin. But God's love for us means that he sent his son to die for us. And so if we are in Christ, he's not, he's not up there trying to be that retributive God. In that sense, when we suffer, it's actually redemptive. And redemptive is when um, we, we, in our faith, and we looked at those last week. You can look at the sermon there. But what, what's been overarching in 1 Thessalonians is this reflective suffering. And that is that we suffer because Christ suffered. Uh, that we are going through the same story that Jesus went through and the prophets. And, and so that's why, why Paul says, this shouldn't be a surprise to you, but we're destined for this. He, he says in chapter 2, verse 18, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. There's, there's this whole uh, thing of, of this constant thing that's going on. And so we're reminded of the story by the way that we're living out the story. Um, so we have these different aspects, the, the redemptive and the reflective. Second, when we, when we realize the, the real source of affliction, I mean, we go through this reflective story, but in the midst of that, Satan is trying to throw a wrench in it. Now, I guess I'm assuming that term comes from somebody dropping a wrench in a, in a mechanical device. It's not the term that Paul uses, but it's similar. He says in chapter 2, verse uh, 18, uh, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. The word hindered means to, to break up the road. It means to place obstacles in the path. He, he's saying that, that Satan is literally putting things in our path to make this more difficult. 
And so sometimes we go, man, why is this church thing so hard? Well, somebody wants it to be hard. Somebody doesn't want you to have affection for one another. Somebody doesn't want you to go through reconciliation. Um, I had a book recently of uh, Martin Luther King's sermons, and I've just been reading one a night. And uh, the other night I was reading one uh, on, the, on the phrase, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he had two sections of the sermon. And the first one was on the word then. And he said, then, when is then? Then was when the God of the universe was being rejected by his creation. Then is after they beat him and spit upon him. Then is when he was pierced through his wrists and his hands. Then is when the thorn of crowns was upon his head. Then, that's the moment when he said, in that affliction and suffering, Father, forgive them. And the second part of the sermon was so classic because he spent the sole second part of the sermon on they know not what they do. And he was very gracious. And he said, there are those in the churches in the north who are of good intention, who love God, who just don't realize by doing this what they're doing. He didn't say, man, they're the enemy. He said, no, folks, people are working really hard in government and things to protect their children and their assets and all this stuff, but we forgive them because they know not what they do. And I thought, how many times have I just come to the limit with somebody? That's enough. But somebody is throwing a wrench in it over and over and over again. And when I say, Father, forgive them, when we enter into reconciliation, it's one of the best ways that we show love for one another in the midst of that affliction. Affliction binds us together when we have a proper view of affliction, when we recognize the real source, and when we realize what's at stake. Um, in chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says, For now we live, if we're standing fast in the Lord. We, we need to recognize that faith that lasts through affliction is what we're going here for. Uh, and it's really part of the story here. We need to step back. We read it. But Paul is persecuted to the point where he, he's got to leave Thessalonica. He was persecuted to the point in, in Philippi where he was in prison. And this is what happens to him from town to town. And yet he's now sitting in Athens going, I just, I want to know about the church there. And so I need to send somebody to go check on them. And, I, and just a, a point here of love is that love is checking in on someone's faith. Love says, man, I haven't heard from you in a while, and I just need to see how you're doing. Faith is, is uh, love, sometimes this part of, is sometimes checking in on our own faith, right? How are we doing? But it's faith that lasts through afflictions, and it's faith that's established. He, he sends Timothy 
there in chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. So we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker or servant in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort your faith. Establish means to put pillars up, to, to bolster it. So it's not that they didn't have a faith. It's like we want to make sure that it's going to really stand the test. When we realize that our faith needs to go through afflictions, we're, we're more likely to, to really just kind of get around people. We, we recognize that we want to help establish each other's faith and that this faith is not in vain. Uh, all of chapter 2 here kind of started with this concept. He says that our, our coming to you is not in vain. It wasn't empty. It produced fruit. And so much so that Paul says, what's the greatest thing? What is the, the most incredible thing I have to offer God? What do I have in my worship and my stuff and all that I have? What is it that I could get? He says, it's you. You're our glory. Your faith is what pushes me on. Finally, and just, just real briefly, is this term abandonment. Obviously, I needed to stick with my A's there. And what I mean is just giving of ourselves. Paul puts others' needs before his own. Now, I just want to say something. There's, there's a movement, there's a pendulum swing that's happening in Christian cultures. And I read about it, and I see it, and I'm just kind of giving it over to you to think about. Um, there is a, a movement in self-care, and it's needed. And, it's, and it says, you know, it, its verse point is, uh, love others as you love yourself. And so they say, you need to love yourself, and here's self-care, and time out, and all this kind of stuff. And, and it, it's probably needed. The church over the years has been just like, if you love God, then you need to do more, 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 and it's just burn a bunch of people out. But I'm just saying from, from a pastor's point of view, from, from a high flyover, I'm starting to see the pendulum swing too far. And uh, my oldest daughter uh, works in a, in a coffee shop, but there's a bunch of Christians there. And, and she, she just got so frustrated one day. There was one of the girls who was sick. And she was really physically sick. And she said, can anybody cover my shift? I, I just, I need, I need time to recover. And all these Christian girls were answering self-care answers. Oh, I need a day to myself. Uh, I need to, I need to, you know, take some, and I, I get, but sometimes we do abandon ourselves for somebody else. That's still part of the Christian culture. And so we can swing that pendulum so far the other way that we're not giving of ourselves to others. And Paul, man, I don't know, Paul did not hear the message on self care. Okay, if you read this, uh, Paul's self care was poor at best. Okay? His idea of was a cruise was like laying in the ocean, you know, that shipwrecked for days, right? Uh, Paul, Paul didn't have a, a vacation time. I believe he practiced Sabbath. But Paul puts others' needs before his own. Second, Paul puts the spread of the gospel before his own needs. Paul is abandoning his own self-care and future 
for the purpose of the gospel. And he says, you know what my retirement plan is? And he doesn't use it in this term, but you're my retirement plan. You're you that I have to present before God as my sacrifice. So in a sense, Paul puts the church's needs before his own. And he says, you know, uh, what is our hope, our joy, our crown, our boasting before the Lord? Isn't it you? And then he says in chapter three, verse we sent Timothy our brother and co-worker, we were willing to be left alone. Look, your needs were more important than our needs. Affection leads to coming along one another in affliction. And when we spend time together in affliction, because of our affection, we start to give of ourselves to other people to the point of where it costs us something. So here's the application. Many of you went through the, uh, the study that we did, uh, Forgiven to Forgive. Um, I forget how many weeks it was, eight, 12 weeks, whatever it was, we did together. And I, I want to thank you, those of you who did that. I've heard some great stories of what God did in your heart as you were reading that. And if you haven't read it yet, you need to do that. But as a way of application, consider your feelings for the church and people in the church. When you think of the church, is it something that you are affectionate towards? When you think of the people of the church, is it something that you have an affection for? Consider your, the afflictions of others and how you can come alongside them. I would say many of you have done very well at this, but... I, I want to uh, just add to that, you know, as Paul says later, you can still do more, excel still more. I see a lot of people caring and walking alongside others with physical affliction. I want to encourage us to move, not stop doing that, but add to that emotional, financial, relational afflictions that we come alongside those things equally as well. So consider the afflictions of others that, that are around you and how you can come alongside them. Now, those of you who went through our, um, our class on, on helping other on benevolence, if you remember, we don't come alongside somebody by saying, I got the answers and I'm here to solve them for you. We come into it as I'm broken and you're broken. How can we solve this together. Consider putting others' needs before your own. Maybe there's a sacrifice that God is calling you to make. And one of my prayers has just been that I can, I want to hear more clearly the leading of the Holy Spirit and respond to that. It's one of my daily prayer lists. And the reality is some things, you know, when I hear the Holy Spirit, I say, oh yeah, I feel like the Lord's leading me to do that. But there's other things where God is calling me to make a sacrifice, when he's asking me to, to do the hard thing, to call the difficult, make the difficult phone call, I'm like, I'm, I'm not so sure if that's the Holy Spirit. I can be very selective in that. And so maybe we need to consider how we can put somebody else's needs before our own in a sacrificial way. Um, I get church is hard. I'm in it. I've done this uh, my whole life. Um, my whole adult life has been in, uh, in ministry to one degree or another. And uh, I have seen different levels of brokenness in every church. And um, sometimes 
people in the church, affection is easy, and for other people, it's hard. Sometimes walking along some, some, somebody in affliction is really easy. Uh, sometimes it feels like a drowning person that's just trying to pull you down with them. Sometimes we, we uh, freely give of ourselves, and it's a joy. Sometimes we give of ourselves, and it hurts. feels unappreciated. But God so loved the world. He had so much affection for it that he literally gave of himself. Jesus was fully God and fully man. He tore from himself that we might be called children of God, that we might have eternal life. That is our model of love that binds us together. May we be a church that models that. Father God, thank you uh, for this morning. Thank you for the communion table and for each person that's here. Uh, Lord, a challenging message for myself, for others. Lord, help us to think about and meditate on what it means uh, to love the church, to love one another. May we do it well. May we grow in our love. May we be known for the way that we love one another and other people. May we strive in that, I pray. Um, Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.